Two Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, April 13th, we are studying John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. In today's text, Jesus takes Peter and he asks him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, everybody. Pastor Ulmer, as we get started today, we are in the very last text that we have in the Gospel according to St. John. So help us with context. Anything that comes before it is good context, I suppose. Help us, what do we need to know from the Gospel or from elsewhere that will help us with these words from Jesus today? Yeah, I think, uh, all jokes aside, I think there's so much wonderful context because this is the very last uh, pericope that we're dealing with in the Gospel of John, so everything that comes before it is kind of relevant. I think the the most relevant thing that can be said is uh, this text happens post-Easter, uh, post-resurrection of our Lord. It happens after he has revealed himself to his disciples, twice in the upper room, once without Thomas and once with him there. And this takes place kind of after uh, the events of the beginning of John 21, where Jesus appears to his disciples again. This is the time where Jesus, or where the disciples uh, are going uh, to fish kind of going back to their old way of uh, doing business in their life, and Jesus comes up to them uh, kind of in a disguised form, tells them to cast the nets over the right side of the boat. They have a gigantic catch of fish. John declares that the one who approached them is the Lord. Uh, Peter jumps into the water, swims ashore, and the disciples kind of haul in that catch of fish, uh, where then Jesus kind of cooks breakfast uh, with them. Kind of after that breakfast is uh, where this particular uh, discussion uh, between first Jesus and Peter, and then John gets kind of brought into this conversation that takes place. Right. So we're, we've got the end of John's Gospel today. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, that the end of chapter 20, those last two verses, where John tells us that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We talked a little bit how those verses sound like a, a conclusion of sorts to the book, but then you get this chapter 21, this epilogue of sorts, the little extra information that we, we get to finish in our text today. How do you how do you see these last verses of John being important, that, that John chose to include them even after it seemed that he concluded his book at the end of chapter 20? Yeah, I I think my my opinion only on this one, uh, as I'm I'm not an expert in the structure of the Gospel of John, but I do see two particular things that are really really important, in at least 
of this 15 to 25 section. So one thing that I'm sure that you and I are going to get into really quick is this first section where Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Um, Jesus is asking this question to Peter specifically, and he's asking him three times to resolve uh, kind of a, a hanging a hanging thread or a loose thread that hasn't been dealt with yet in in the gospel, which I think could be generally categorized as the restoration of Peter. Mm. Um, the second thing that I think is very, very important is in, in the last section, when it gets into the discussion between Jesus and Peter and John gets brought in, is John uh, does take a moment to... Uh, offer kind of his apostolic authenticity mm. to this book. Um, so you you get uh, you get this instance where uh, John, who is probably a very elderly man, is writing the book at this point, and then attests to the the truthfulness and the um, of this of this document um, he kind of puts his own name on it which he he does here at the end of the section mm. you know thinking about the restoration of peter i think this is really the only place in the gospels where we hear at least this specifically concerning the restoration of peter at, at least in the way that he's singled out here and receives this threefold questioning and commissioning from jesus there are other places i think it's in is it in mark where the angel tells the women go and tell or the, the news is that you know you go to tell the disciples and Peter, so you know Peter's included. It's it's pretty clear that Peter's included, but here you get the very specific threefold restoration of Peter that's not really found at least in this detail anywhere else in the Gospels. Probably something for the that was would have been important for the early church and for us as Christians still today to know when we see you know the great important role that Peter will play, say in the Book of Acts. And in his epistles, it's probably helpful for us as Christians to see how our Lord was gracious to him and restored him to the faith. It just kind of, I think it helps the entire, I guess, the rest of the narrative of the Old Testament to have this information. And if John didn't write it down, you don't have it anywhere else, this specifically yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah, and I think maybe adding on top of that, and I didn't even really think about this beforehand discussing with you, very likely that the by the time that the Gospel of John gets written, the other three Gospels had already been penned. Right. It's possible that all of the Gospel writers, and I even think I would make that stronger, it's likely that all of them had already uh, been martyred for the, right. the sake of the Lord. So had John not taken the time to write this down, um, this particular set of information could have been lost uh, to the Church uh, up, to, up to now. Right. And, and again, I think it's important just in the whole scope, scope of the New Testament to see how the Lord did restore Peter in this, in this way. It's, it's, again, a wonderful account that we get here at the end of the Gospel according to St. John. So do you want to read the whole text at once, or do you want to split it into those kind of two sections? Uh, I, think we, I think we can split it. <clears throat> All right. So we're going to start with John 21, verses 15 to 19 this morning. Here's the text. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That takes us through verse 19 of our text. We will pause there. So, Pastor Ulmer, as you said, we're right on the heels of the text we read yesterday. Jesus has given breakfast to his disciples after the miraculous catch of fish that they gave him. And now Jesus speaks individually to Simon Peter. And I think the reason that I've always thought of this as Jesus takes Peter aside is because in the verse that we haven't read yet, verse 20, Peter turns and sees John following them. So I, I get the impression that Peter and Jesus have walked away from the group at this point and are perhaps even walking as they're having this conversation. And again, I, I get that impression from verse 20, which we haven't read yet, but it's it's right there. So Jesus says to Simon Peter individually, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Just talk about this question that Jesus asks first. Take us into to the various parts of it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't say this to to sound like I'm making a light or joking, but there's so many <sighs> things that are are just so important to consider right away here in verse 15 about this, uh, about how Jesus uh, speaks to Peter and about the question itself. Uh, counting here, uh, this is including but not limited to number one. Jesus addresses uh, Peter by calling him Simon, son of John. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me, most other places in uh, the Gospels, Jesus refers to Simon or Peter as Simon and or Peter and or Simon Peter. Is that correct? Well, I'd have to go back and look. I, I would imagine you can you can see examples of all of them. I, I'm just flipping now right in John's Gospel, and I think the first time that Jesus meets Peter back in John chapter 1, let's see, this is John 142. Jesus looks at him, at Peter, and says, So you are Simon the son of John, you shall be yeah. called Cephas. So that's the first time he meets Peter, or Jesus and Peter meet in the Gospel of John, at least. Yeah, so that that's like the one time that I'm aware of where he is referred to as Simon, son of John, except for right here. Mm -hmm. So the way that Jesus is kind of uh, addressing his <clears throat> disciple is in a state that was kind of before he was Jesus' disciple, mm -hmm. before the calling. Um, I, I don't know exactly how much weight to put on that, but I do find it interesting that the the kind of the disposition between Jesus and, and Peter here is kind of the, at least by his address, the same as it was before Jesus then said, uh, follow me and I will make you a fisher of man. Okay, so just to, to kind of clarify that, again, going to, to that text from John 1, where Jesus first meets Peter, or Peter first meets Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, and then the evangelist John says that means Peter. So what, what you're suggesting is that perhaps the way that Jesus addresses P 
Peter here as the Simon son of John, the idea is that he's intentionally using that address that he used first before Peter became a disciple to now make sure that Peter knows, hey, I, I am restoring you to to my flock, to my fold. I, you are a part yeah. of me. Just as I initially addressed that you by this name and then gave you the name Cephas or Peter, so now I'm addressing you by this name and I'm bringing you back in through this forgiveness. That's kind of the idea you're saying by by the use that, of the name? That's, that's the idea, yes. I, I just, just because it, it, Jesus using this specific address, I think, um, clue, clue is the one who's paying attention back back to that particular um, time. I, I think the reason why that is is because as you read uh, to the audience of Sharper Iron, Jesus doesn't ask this question once. He doesn't ask it twice. He asks it three times. Uh, why three times? Well, if you go back to John 13, uh, when Jesus uh, said that he was going to be arrested and crucified and the like, um, Jesus says that uh, disciples, including Peter, can't go where they where he is going. And, and Peter basically, in his kind of brash, bolstery way, says, um, "I'm going to follow you wherever you go." And uh, I will, I will never deny you. I'd rather die than deny you. And Jesus's response to Peter is, "I tell you the truth. Before the, roast, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times." Mm-hmm. And what happens uh, when uh, Jesus is being led to be tried? Uh, Peter gets confronted three times. Are you this man's disciple? Peter says, "No," mm-hmm. three times. Um, each one of these questions, I think, is Jesus restoring Peter, forgiving Peter for these three denials. So he does it um, three times. Right. And by using that name that he used before Peter became a disciple or at the moment of Peter's call, we're reminded of that. And here Jesus welcomes his lost sheep back home. He's bringing the lost back in, calling Simon, son of John, back to himself by his grace. So Simon, son of John, the name has that importance. Now, Take us into to the rest of Jesus' question. Do you love me? And then we'll maybe pick up more than these separately. Yeah. So do you do you love me? Uh the the big one for for me in this is of course something that I think I don't know if you have this experience with the rest of your guests in Sharper Island, but I think every time that I talk to you, I think the first commandment gets brought up somewhere. Probably so. You shall have no other gods. Yeah. <laughs> it's, al- it's almost like it, it might be a very important a commandment for us as Christians to understand. I, I don't think we, um, we mention it by name every episode, but, but it certainly is in the background of, of our discussions all the time. As you said, this is the, it's the first commandment for a reason. So how does yeah, it apply it's, here? It's, yeah, I mean— that the Luther's meaning we should fear, love, and trust in God above all thing, things. And in Jesus being the eternal Son of God taking on flesh, this fear, loving, and trusting in Jesus becomes a, a big deal, not just for being one of Jesus' disciples, not only for being one of his, his apostles, but kind of being uh, a part of Jesus, period. And what, th- what this reminds me of personally is like what Jesus is talking about in, let's say, like Luke 14, when Jesus very clearly talks about what the cost of following him is. 
Um, this is that wonderful passage that we all love reading on Sunday morning. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Um, what, what Jesus is kind of teaching here and what Jesus is kind of showing Peter <clears throat> here is this love of him is it is the single most important thing that that peter can ever i don't know if possess is the right word but possess in his life mm. um because the one addressing him is, is not just his lord and master but he is his resurrected god the one who created him the one who redeemed him mm. and therefore any any sense of identity that he's going to have going forward um has to be placed uh solely on the fact of his love for Jesus. Hmm. Well, and just thinking within the context of John's gospel, in the upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, the word love was a pretty prominent one. Certainly the, the new commandment, love one another, but as I have loved you, Jesus says. And he, he, within that discourse, talks about the love that his disciples will have for him. So just to, I mean, I'm just flipping through this here, and I don't have an exhaustive list. But John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Later in that same chapter, John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then you know, the opposite of that in verse 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now, chapter 15, Jesus says in verse 9 of that chapter, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then in the next verse, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this, this love that the disciples have for Jesus has been a prominent theme in the Gospel of John. Jesus has spoken that way regularly. And so for Jesus to use that language in questioning Peter here, do you love me, That's that fits. I mean, it fits perfectly. Again, he's calling him back into this, this relationship of, of disciple, master, of, of I mean, their brothers, children. Jesus has used all kinds of, of different words here in the gospel for how he relates to his disciples. And so to, to say, do you love me then, is to recall all of that for Peter, calling him again back into the fold, bringing the lost back. I Yes. So, okay, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then at least in the first question, Jesus doesn't repeat it, the other times, but he, he says this time in the first one, do you love me more than these? How should we understand that last part of the question, more than these? Yeah, I think in in the, the work that I did in preparation for this show, I think there's a lot of different interpretations of, of who or what Jesus is talking about when he says, do you love me uh, more, more than these? I think one suggestion was in, in the context of, of all of John 21, that Jesus might have been talking about uh, that the act of fishing, like the fishing equipment and the boats and the like, giving up his, his previous life. Um, I, I, I personally think it's probably, probably more tied to the other uh, apostles who are there. Um, the the other the other ten disciples who who are there, um, hmm. I I also 
this just it points me back to the the cost of discipleship again mm-hmm. when Jesus is talking to him what's going to cost and no matter what it is it's who who or what gets primacy in the life of Peter mm-hmm. is it Jesus or is it something else and uh, I think we would rightly understand that with the first commandment it, it's always got to be uh, God, it's always got to be Jesus who, who takes the, the primary spot in our lives. Mm. And Jesus is calling Peter to, to make sure that he has that order correct. So, I mean, and that's, I think that's, that's helpful, lest we think that maybe there's some sort of pride on Peter's part. When, when he answers affirmatively, yes, you know that I love yeah. you, he doesn't say more than these in the sense that, no. yes, Lord, I love you more than, say, John loves you or more than Thomas loves you, because you remember how yeah. he, he doubted you, Lord. But it's, it's not, so it's not about, Peter doesn't seem to be playing that comparison game, at least in that way. But Peter is declaring to the Lord, yes, I love you, Lord, period. Yes, he, he is. And, and I think even though we're not, we're not there yet, maybe we are moving into that, how he responds to Jesus's question I would say shows that he is not interested in that pride game that Peter so famously get got caught up in before, especially prior to Peter's denial of Jesus. Where, uh, I mean, he even says in Mark, "If I must die with you, I will not. I will not deny you." Peter is pretty. Uh, he's pretty proud on on Peter at that moment in time, only to get uh, knocked knocked down when his pride fails him. And when Jesus asks him these questions, he's not interested in kind of playing himself up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Peter, Peter, it seems, is responding humbly in response to the yeah. Lord's questions. Yes, Lord. And, and notice, you know, you know that I love you, I think, isn't, isn't sort of like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe you're asking me. You know the answer already. But rather, even just a, another sign of of his respect for the Lord. Yes, Lord, you know this. You you know the answer to the question because you are the Lord. I don't I don't yep. think we should hear um, annoyance in Peter's voice there, uh, but but rather you know respect, worship for the Lord Jesus. Now later we will find out that Peter was grieved when it comes to the third time. But this matter, you know, you know that I love you. I think is a part of the faith of Peter's answer and not some sort of ah oh, come on I can't believe we're having to have this conversation Jesus. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't I don't read in any um at least not here any uh, sadness or sorrow on Peter's account. When he says yes, Lord, he is answering Jesus very simply and very affirmatively, yes, he loves him. And that the you know that I love you, um in, instead of Peter could have taken the moment and saying, Yes, Lord, I love you and I am going to show you. Um, I'm going to do something great for you to show you that I love you. He doesn't. He doesn't hear. Mm-hmm. He he simply places his trust in Jesus and Jesus's knowledge that Jesus does know Peter's heart, um, and and he simply places his, himself um, humbly before his Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. So okay. Since we're and we may have to take some of these things sort of out of order because there's there are a lot of things to talk about just in this interaction. But since we've kind of already talked about the, the mindset of Peter in answering, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, an answer of faith, yes, you know that I love you. He's not annoyed that he's having to have this conversation. But there is that note from John in 
at the end in the third time, verse 17, John tells us that Peter was grieved because Jesus says the third time, do you love me? So not, not annoyed, but, but grieved. Why is Peter grieved by this third questioning? I, to, to me, I think the most convincing argument is, is simply, um, it, his sorrow comes from Jesus asking him a third time. I, I don't see anything other than, uh, I guess Peter, Peter is sorrowful that, uh, Jesus may, might not believe him to ask him again. He, he's sad because he, he get, keeps getting this uh, question asked him. I, I don't see any evidence that there's um, any other reason for this sorrow other than the amount of times the question has been asked. Hmm. Okay. I, I wonder, too, like when anytime our sins get brought to mind, <laughs> there's a grief that mm. comes and and going through this three times for the purpose of the threefold denial and a threefold restoration i wonder if it is that that godly grief that leads to repentance that saint paul mm. talks about maybe that sort of grief that any time we are confessing our sins they're being brought to mind even when we know the absolution is coming and and it is there by the grace of god there is still that godly grief and and by the third time that Peter starts to know that grief maybe more fully than he'd experienced that grief the first two questions? I don't know. What do you think? I, I think it, it's definitely in the realm of possibility. Um, I, I, I guess the point that I'm, I'm making is I don't see— I, I, I don't see this being a sorrow of, frus- of frustration yeah. for Peter. Um, that, that's kind of the point that I—, I he, R- well, he's being confronted by his sin, and of course, every one of us who who likes to be confronted by their sin, I'm going to be the first person to say, I don't, I don't like being confronted my sin. Yet, we do know, and I do teach uh, every week when I'm doing uh, child and adult confirmation that um, confession always has two parts: first, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution. That's kind of the 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 pattern that God has given us uh, to deal with sin. That that we do have to uh, agree with what God has said about us in our sinful nature. And I, it's very possible that this direct confrontation uh, from uh, Peter's threefold denial uh, is bringing him that sorrow of sin right. that I think we rightly feel. Well, yeah, I think so. And I think what, what you were saying about it, it, it doesn't seem to be a grief or frustration, I think is the is the thing that I want to avoid. Because I don't think we should picture this conversation like the parent disciplining the child and the the child kind of gets that just annoyed look on his face i can't believe we're talking (laughs) about this mom i know what i did wrong leave me alone i i don't think that's the way we should picture this conversation between jesus and peter and that's that's what i'm trying to avoid so i I think you've been been helpful in in setting the tone here with this godly grief that peter feels Uh, yeah i i i agree with that 100 and and i and I think the the reason why we can and should speak about this in as a direct terms as we possibly can is because in in the restoration, because of Peter's confession of love for Jesus, what Jesus then directs Peter to do. Yeah. If if Jesus were were merely taking the time to 
kind of scold his disciple and make him feel bad, I don't think that the next words out of his mouth would be feed my lambs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we'll, we'll talk more about the response that Jesus says after Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We're going to talk more about what Jesus gives Peter to do on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Matt Ulmer this morning about John chapter 21. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, April 13th. We're studying John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. He serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were talking about this threefold questioning response from Jesus to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. We haven't yet talked about how Jesus responds to Peter. He says, first, feed my lambs. The second time, tend my sheep. The third time, feed my sheep. So, well, I guess the first question I have for you, Pastor Ulmer, is are we supposed to discern a difference in any of these answers, or is it Jesus saying the same thing three times in different ways? Okay, I think the the simple uh, answer to that question is, I believe the answer is the second option. So it's the same thing three times, but said in three different ways. Correct. Okay. And I, I think I think the, the reason why that is is because Jesus uses two verbs here. You have feed and shepherd, and he uses two nouns, lambs and sheep. The first one is feed and lambs. The second, shepherd and sheep. And the third one is feed sheep. So he just kind of mixes and matches them there um, in a nice, uh, kind of in a nice pattern. So he's okay. he's using language in a way that isn't super repetitive, yet uh, the, the mean, the function is the exact same thing. All right. So we're going we're gonna to understand these three answers as essentially synonyms. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And maybe we can bring out some nuances with lambs and sheep and feeding and tending. All of this puts us in the pastoral language, pastoral meaning shepherd here, although I think pastoral as we think of the pastoral office today, also applies. So let's talk about what is, what is Jesus giving Peter to do here? Yeah, I think, uh, pardon me if, if I'm wrong and miss, and miss uh, taking a step here, I think all of this, all of our understanding of what Jesus is talking about here extends to language that God has used about himself in the Old Testament, and language that Jesus has used about himself in the New Testament. Yeah. I know that there's various places in the Old Testament where God compares himself or calls himself the shepherd of his sheep, I believe in Amos and uh, Ezekiel. Yes, yep. Both both places he, he speaks, David talks about the Lord being his shepherd, and of course Psalm 23. And then most famously, 
uh, Jesus speaking about himself as the good shepherd in John 10. So God, God uses as an image for himself as a shepherd who has a flock of sheep or lambs. Uh, that flock is Israel. That flock is his people. That flock is you. That flock is me. Mm. Uh, okay, okay. So we're in the language of Jesus in John 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd, all of that pastoral language. We've got the Old Testament background, as you brought out, in numerous places where the Lord promises that he himself will be the shepherd of his sheep. Now he's giving Peter a role in that shepherding, it seems here. So what's the, I mean, take us to that next step. Jesus is the good shepherd. How does Peter play a part in this role of shepherding? Yeah, so in in this restoration of Peter, not only does Jesus forgive Peter of his threefold denial, but the the kind of response to this restoration is Jesus giving Peter a new task. And that task is to be a shepherd, or you might say an under-shepherd, uh, of Jesus' sheep. What uh, Jesus is telling Peter is, uh, if you love me, um, this is what you are going to do. You are going to take care of my people. I think, I think by extension, you could almost say, uh, Peter, um, now that you have been restored, now that you confess that you love me, your job is to be uh, a pastor to my people uh, after I ascend to my Heavenly Father. Okay, so how does that work? I mean, how how is Peter going to feed the flock? How is he going to tend the flock then? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think number one uh, on Pentecost, the the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles, <clears throat> and the apostles go out in the street and they speak to all those who have gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And it is Peter's sermon who is recorded in Acts 2 about um, the, the, the preaching of God's Word about Jesus Christ, him, his death, his, uh, his burial, his, ascension, or his uh, resurrection and his ascension uh, for the salvation of humanity. So number one, Peter is going to move into kind of a, a preaching role in the Church. But even more than that... Um, I think I think as as an apostle, as a shepherd of God's sheep, Peter's going to take on uh, various roles. He shows up, I know, in the uh, first Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. He shows up in in various places. He participates in the Gentile uh, Pentecost um, prior to the prior to the Jerusalem Council. He is asked. Uh, to the the word I'm looking for, my my brain's not working fantastic right now. But he is he's asked his opinion on various theological <clears throat> issues. He writes pastoral epistles in First and Second Peter uh, to teach the church. I mean, from from this point forward, it's going to be his job to to give uh, the newly found church, uh, what she needs in, in God's word and in overseeing the administration of the sacraments. Mm, yeah. And he's, and he's going to do that with the word of Christ, thinking back mm -hmm. to what we were talking earlier yeah. with Jesus saying, do you love me? 
and the connections to what Jesus has said earlier in this gospel, you know, abiding in my love, as Jesus says in John 15, is connected to abiding in his words. And so the, the word of God becomes that tool that Peter will use to shepherd the flock. And then by extension, all the apostles do this, and pastors today still do this. And I've always found it just wonderful that in his first epistle, this language of shepherding is precisely what Peter uses when he addresses the elders, the pastors among the people to whom he's writing. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I mean, so it, it, Peter takes this language, his own call, and he applies it to the whole church in the role that pastors play. Use the word under shepherd. That's the, the word yeah. that often gets attached to pastors today. Yeah, and not only that, continuing the First Peter 5, it says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, yeah. as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, <sighs> not de- domineering over those near charge, but being examples to the flock. Yeah. Peter's own words, I think, are um, conveying the lesson that Peter learned through his denial and his restoration. Because in Peter's own advice to the pastors of the church in the future is to not let uh, their own pride uh, lead them and guide them in the taking care of God's sheep, mm-hmm. but to, to do it in uh, honest and humble faith in God's Word and His promises. Yeah, yeah. So again, no wonder John chose to write this down before the end of his gospel so that we could have all this wonderful good news for us as Christians still today. So we could probably spend—it's always amazing to me, Pastor Ulmer, how I, I, when I divide up the text, I, I never know quite how long certain conversations are going to go, but sometimes it, it just seems, boy, we could have spent the whole time just talking about Peter's restoration today and had plenty to talk about. Yeah. But going going forward from this threefold questioning, restoration, commissioning of Peter, after Jesus the third time has said, feed my sheep, he continues— and he says to Peter something about being young and dressing himself and then being old and somebody else is going to dress him. And then John gives us the note as the evangelist that this is going to show, this shows the death that Peter was going to die. What's going on here in verses nine, or 18 and 19? Yeah, I think, in, in my opinion, <clears throat> I think the most important part of the, these two verses, 18 and 19, and, and what this whole thing stems from is Jesus' words that John records at the end of 19, follow me. Hmm. Um, so after being restored, after been, being given the task of being a shepherd of God's people, um, Jesus once again does to Peter what he did at the beginning of John, and he says, follow me. Now, part of what this means is um, Jesus letting Peter know what uh, being one of Jesus' disciples is going to cost him, what being one of uh, the pastors of the church is going to cost him, um, what being an apostle of Jesus' name is going to cost him. I, I do think not only based on what Jesus says in verse 18, but with John's commentary, that John's correct, that, that Jesus was a telling um, Peter the ultimate cost of what following Jesus uh, was going to cost him, and that ultimately would be uh, his, his own life. Mm, right. And I think it's, it's telling that Jesus, though, as he gives Peter this information ahead of time, 
and John interprets it that this death is going to glorify God. This mm-hmm. is the way that Jesus has consistently spoken of his own death within the Gospel of John, yep. that, that it is his glory. And so for those who follow Jesus, when we would die a martyr's death, that too is to God's glory, though it seems shameful to the world. Actually, this is to the glory of God. Amen. And Peter, while he he had this word, would get to live probably another couple decades doing the the work of uh, the church. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. he knew what his future would be for uh, confessing and teaching the name of Jesus. Mm. Well, and so, I mean, if we take this text to happen, oh, about what, 30, between 30 and 33 AD, somewhere in there, I think Peter's yeah. death normally is assigned the date somewhere between like 64 and 68, somewhere in there. Something something like that. So, so yeah, I mean, we're talking about 30 years until this happens, and traditionally, Peter was crucified upside down, right? That's the that, understanding? That is, what I under, that is what I understand, and I think... I think part part of the reasoning was was Peter even being as recorded in church tradition as saying that he wanted to be crucified upside down because he he didn't find himself worthy of being crucified right side up like his lord. Mm, yeah. So like in in all of Peter's pride that sometimes uh we pick on him for in our preaching to the gospels um I, I he he do, he does learn the lesson ultimately here that his job is to to humbly follow Jesus mm. and do as well. And then the promise of that is that those who have yeah. followed Christ in death also follow him in resurrection. So that as as Amen, Peter brother. follows Jesus faithfully throughout his life, which ends up meaning his own martyrdom, we have the confidence that Peter follows Jesus in the resurrection, that on the last day the Lord will raise Peter from the dead along with all of his faithful. And so those words, follow me, really do help to tie this together. Yes, Peter, follow me in death, but you will also follow me in resurrection. I will raise you from the dead on the last day. And there, that resurrection, that's the strength for us to remain faithful now, knowing that we have the Lord's promise. Yeah, and I would say by extension that that call goes to every disciple of Jesus yep. Christ. He calls you to follow him, and that that is uh, take, take up your cross and follow him. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that takes us through the end of verse 19. We have a little bit more here in John 21 to read and learn. This begins now at verse 20 of the chapter. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written." It takes us to the end of the text, the end of the gospel, according to St. John, chapter 21, verse 25. All right, so Pastor Ulmer, here we have in verse 20, again, it seems the setting that Peter and Jesus have been walking while they've been having this conversation, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, he's been following them. So Peter turns around and asks a question. Take us into this, now this new way of, in, this new interaction between Jesus and Peter. Yeah, so I think... <coughs> 
I, I just confess to you that uh, I think at the end of the day, Peter learned his lesson about humility and, and following Jesus. But I think he has like maybe one last minor <laughs> slip right. up here. So, <laughs> right, so we're going to give Peter a hard time again, huh? Just just a little bit. So, I mean, Jesus just told basically told Peter that he was going to die, and he sees John following him, and for a moment, it, it seems to me that Peter will wonder as well, if I, if I, that my cost of following you, Jesus, is giving up my life. How about John? Yeah. How, how about how about this disciple right here uh, following you? What What's going to happen to him? And I, I, I think that's all that's going on here, Peter, Peter acting in, in curiosity. Um, and Jesus's answer to him in, in modern parlance, I think, is something along these lines. Uh, it's none of your business. <laughs> um, but what is your business, Peter, is that you follow me. Notice how that gets reiterated. Yes. Yeah. Peter, don't worry about my plans for John. You follow me. That That's the point of what Jesus is saying. You have been given your task, Peter. Take care of my sheep. Carry your cross. Follow me. Don't worry about John. I have a plan for John. Um, what that plan is has nothing to do with your work. Peter, be concerned with yourself. Mm. Okay, so I mean, when it comes to to Peter's part in this interaction, that's that's it. Peter, for whatever reason, is curious about John, and so he asks the Lord, and Jesus says, "Look, Peter, that's my business, not yours. You follow me. Remain faithful to that call. That's the point for Peter. Right? What is it to you? But of course, Jesus doesn't quite just say mind your own business, Peter. But he he throws in this line that I, I have to imagine, well, it's tantalizing, I think, to us still, and, and must have been tantalizing to Christians, especially as John grew older yeah. and was writing this gospel, that Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, and then he tells Peter to mind his own business. So that first <laughs> part I mean, it's yeah. tantalizing to us still, probably was tantalizing to early Christians, to the point that John even has to clarify it here. So talk about this clarification that John offers. Yeah, I, from from what I have read and what I understand about this, <clears throat> uh, I don't think this, this was John's intention of getting giving the Church the impression that Jesus was going to come back before John died. But it does seem to be that that particular belief was at least common enough in the early church that John had to clarify it. Uh, because if, if this belief were to abound that Jesus said, uh, and I want to double clarify this so I don't misspeak, if Jesus were to say, Peter, my plan for John is that he is going to stick around and take care of the church until I come back, the the people who believed in in those words uh, would be in a particular crisis of faith if John were to die before Jesus returned. Does that make sense? I I think so. I think so. And, and as John becomes older in his life, and the people, yeah. you know, I mean, John would have um, told these things to the church. You know that these things had happened. And so probably had been clarifying, and perhaps as he's he's getting older in his life, people are wondering, okay, he's about to die. Well, what does that mean for what Jesus said? Then then yeah. he, he needs to clarify here. No, no, Jesus didn't say he wasn't going to die. Jesus said, if it's my will that he doesn't die. Yeah. So that there's yeah. no question, I suppose, about the Lord's return is, is part of the concern here. 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't see here, especially in John's clarification, that Jesus was speaking that that he would return before John died. But that was a common enough belief that it was necessary for John to address it in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, what Jesus does say is true. If it was his desire for John to be alive until the day that he returned, that's Jesus' business. Right. Can Jesus make it happen? He could. But that isn't what he promised, and that's not what he declared. So therefore, it's not something that the church should uh, put their their hope and their trust in uh, that particular set of outcomes. Right. So that for the church, then the concern. Well, and, you know, I think about sometimes when I I'll preach this way. You know, if the Lord doesn't return first, this will happen. And and yes. perhaps the temptation is to become so concerned. Well, is the Lord going to turn on this day or that day, and and all those things. Rather, Jesus puts our focus squarely where it should be. Yes, we keep our eyes looking for the Lord's return, but in the meantime, we don't try to figure follow out me. what his will about is whether or not I'm going to die. We follow him. And and so— Yeah, follow me. <laughs> right. So as we have our eyes fixed on the return of the Lord, what does that look like in our lives? Follow Jesus. That's the— Follow Jesus. That's the point. And that's what he gives to Peter as Peter's asked this question about John. Now, at the end yep. of the, the gospel, verses 24— and 25, as you, you mentioned, John puts his, his stamp on it. He talks about him being a witness and that this is true testimony. Take us into those last two verses of the gospel. Yeah, and so I'll say here, I think <clears throat> that this is at least a piece of, of the answer to uh, Peter's question to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? Mm-hmm. And Jesus' response to him, um, if I desire for him to come for him to remain till I come was to, to you, you follow me. You have this idea that it seems to be that Jesus's will for John is for him to live a uniquely long life to do the work of writing his books and to be uh, a counselor and a pastor to the early church, especially um, and famously at Ephesus. Um, so what John is doing here at the end is kind of, I guess, confirming that unique task that Jesus had for John, that he would write down and attest to the things that Jesus uh, had done and said. Um, interestingly enough, I know that before we, we kind of got on the radio and we were talking, we were kind of doing our casuistry and catching up that you guys are going into First John next, right? That's correct. We're starting one tomorrow. The, yeah, one of the things that I have always loved and found fascinating, especially about First John, is in the very beginning, and I'm sure that you're going to talk, talk about this at length because it's so wonderful, about how in John writing his first epistle— he absolutely roots what he is saying to the church in the fact that he was there uh, with Jesus um, and heard and saw these things. That he was an eyewitness of the things that Jesus did and, and taught. And not, not to put the faith in John himself, but to put their faith in the one who, who gave him uh, the call to, to follow him, the unique call. Uh, to write the gospel and the letters and the revelation. Mm. 
What, what do you make of that last verse? This is just a, a, a marvelous verse of the scriptures. There, there's lots of other things that could have been written, and I suppose if they were all, there, they wouldn't be enough room for the books. What do you make of that last verse? Number one, I'd say, yeah, it's probably absolutely right. true. I think, I think John is, is speaking a very simple truth here, that Jesus did and taught many things that, at, at least for the, the practical usefulness of the book itself in, in teaching people about Jesus, maybe would be too long and, and bloated and unedited. I, I guess part of how I see John is I think it was written quite late in John's life, and it's my gut feeling that he had a lot of time to think about and maybe trim and edit and choose words uh, to be very precise in, in the goal of his book. But I also believe that this verse um, speaks to something that we as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod teach about um, the efficacy and the, tr- and the truthfulness of Scripture, that in the words of the writers of Scripture, including the Apostle John, that the Holy Spirit inspired them to write down everything that was necessary for us to have life and faith in Jesus, mm-hmm. and that John <clears throat> recorded this, he recorded enough for us to have a saving, unwavering faith in the one who was crucified and raised for our yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, and in that way, I think this last verse, which is now the last verse of the gospel, takes us back to that previous verse that sounded like a conclusion already. What is the yeah. purpose of the things that have been written? Not everything could be written down, but what is the purpose of those things that have been written? It is to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ, and through that faith you may have life in his name. And John comes back again to that matter of the Word of God who's been made flesh. Now this Word has been written down for you and for me to believe and have life in his name. He he draws us back to that, that previous conclusion once again. Amen. Pastor Matt Ulmer is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. He's been helping us today to study John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today. It's always a pleasure. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have faith in his name, dear Christian. God grant you that faith as you continue to stay sharp in his word. Tomorrow we will start our study of 1 John, and then we'll go into the other epistles of John afterward. If you have any questions about those epistles coming up, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.